One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Out in the cold, out in the dark, something's lurking at the edge of the park. People be warned, people beware, there's a storm on the rise and it's covered in hair. Hear him cry, hear him howl, looking for someone to disembowel. Claws like a hook, eyes like coal, feet so big they're gonna crush your soul. They call him Sasquatch. Hello my friends, welcome to Yowie Central. I'm Sarah and you're tuned in to 94.9 Main FM. How are you all this morning? Spring is in the air and it makes me feel so perky and chirpy. I hope everyone is feeling happy and energised. But if you aren't, I'm sending you out a big, warm, enveloping hug. On January the 2nd, 2009... Dean Harrison, founder of Australian Yowie Research, was out on a field research expedition. It was night time, a very dark night, and Dean was exploring away from camp by himself when he realised there was a Yowie nearby. That realisation turned to fear when Dean heard massive, earth-shaking, bipedal footsteps start moving towards him, running at him in the pitch darkness. Dean expected this being to stop when it got close to him, but it kept coming and coming, thundering towards him until it smashed into Dean's chest and sent him flying. A terrifying experience that caused Dean to suffer post-traumatic stress disorder for many months afterwards. Dean is in the process of making a documentary about that night and I chatted to him last week about it. I played the first 15 minutes of that chat for you last week on the show, but I'll play you the rest today. But I thought I would replay those first 15 minutes again to you for context. Here's Dean Harrison talking about the night that he was hit by a Yowie in Kilkeven, Queensland.
Mr. Dean Harrison, thank you so much for joining me on Yowie Central. Ms. Sarah Bignall, nice to talk to you again. Uh, you've joined us today to give us an update on what you've been up to. Well, at the moment, I'm working on a project that's uh, very, very close to my heart. It's something I've put a lot of thought into. Well, not just thought, but a lot of time, uh, a lot of years uh, has been invested in this. It's the story, basically, of uh, Kilkeven, the history, and you know when I was hit by the Yowie. Not just that, but the reason why we were there in the first place, and this is fascinating, we're actually there based on a lie. And if you don't know the backstory, well, you'll find out when I, when I actually produce this video. Basically, the story was, I mean, just the synopsis, was that they basically we were there because of a guy, a historian by the name of um, B.J. Green, Brett Green, Brett John Green, uh, who we now call B.S. Green, and he had a lot of stories about this particular mountain at Oakview, which is west of Gympie. It's a place called Kilkeven. And so we went there on his advice, blah, blah, blah. We had a fleet of cars. Um, we had four-wheel drives and there was one camper van. And the camper van was owned by George and Glennis Mackay. Uh, Glennis is a psychic. Um, George, so please, passed away now. And they couldn't get their camper van up the hill, so they parked down the bottom. We went to the top and found this hut that we were described and we had a night there that was non-eventful, put it that way. But at 7 o'clock in the morning, one of our guys who had walked back down to the bottom of the hill, he'd stayed down there. He'd walked back up again. I mean, that was a long, long trek to get back up. But he, he came up with the news that the camper van had been attacked that night. So we got all our gear together and we went back down to the bottom of the mountain. And this camper van is so big that for a human to move it, almost impossible. Uh, yet that night the camper van was rocking from side to side so so heavily that George and Glenis almost fell out of bed. And as a result of that, you know, there's a massive footprint outside the, the, the door. George got up and he's like, oh, what's going on here, sort of thing, and opened the door and he said, this thing just run off through the bush. And so, I mean, that was pretty much our first introduction of Oakview, uh, Kilkeven. So we started going there for, for, for quite a while, and we had so many different uh, experiences out there. And interestingly, some that I still can't explain. Like, I cannot explain them. And I'll give you an example of this one. So <sighs> there's myself and Marcus. Uh, this is one of our guys at the time. Who, who was with us, uh, we'd ventured away at two, two o'clock in the morning and we thought we'd go sit on the opposite mountain range and listen. So we went up to the top of this mountain range, we had our gear, um, we sat down and then all of a sudden there's this walking, stomping and it was so over-exaggerated that I didn't believe it. I went, no, 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 no. This is, this, this is one of our problem people that I wanted to get rid of at the time. I thought he was he was 
pranking us basically. So it was so over the top, stomp, 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 coming right up from the valley, uh, directly at us. And it's getting closer, getting closer, getting closer. We kept the, the torch lights off. And as it's basically maybe 10, 15 metres, on went the lights. And that was the last step. Nothing, absolutely nothing there. Makes no sense. And to this day, I still think about this. We looked high, we looked low, we looked around everything. And we're talking about a pine forest. We're not talking about, you know, rainforest where you can hide behind things. This isn't this isn't that. This is different. This is like sparse trees, basically. It made no sense. Where did it go? You know, there's no holes. We looked up the trees. We looked around the trees. There was nothing. And it was the moment we turned on that light, we hit that button, bang, gone. Just like that. Makes no sense. That is very strange. If you do want some more strangeness, well, there was another time. Uh, this myself. This is during Operation Rotation, and this is a magical story. Of, you know, we, we, we put together this... this uh, this expedition, and it ran over, I think, nine, ten days. And we'd, we'd rotate people, like groups of two, and so so we'd fill in those days. And so it was during myself and Trevor's time uh, there, we, we, we were teamed up together. And it was about one o'clock in the afternoon, and then this sound came through the forest and precisely – what, what, what we'd do, right – We'd have to write down notes in our journals. Every team had to write the notes down and, and document everything from their experience. So they were talking about this question coming through the bush. So lo and behold, one o'clock in the afternoon, this is my first day there, and this crashing came through and it was like a steamroller. Everything was coming down. It's, trees were being felled. That was that sort of noise. And so I said to everybody there, um, Brett Grimm's there, McDale, Trevor Smith, I think um, Mike Devere. Um, and I said, said, just keep talking, keep talking. Keep the dialogue up, like pretending that, you know, we haven't noticed that type of thing. And so I grabbed my video camera and I was bulletproof because I wanted results from this weekend. And I'd run down, tiptoed down to the to stream and I went up the stream bed and I bulletproof, bulletproof, bulletproof. But the moment I stepped up onto that bank where it was, bam, it was like uh, walking through, and my journal says, it's like walking through a wall of ice. Um, everything went silent. All the birds, all the crickets, everything just turned weird. I, I suddenly got the sweats. I felt nauseous. I psychoanalyzed myself during the time, which is important, and I knew that this wasn't natural. Um, so I'm, <laughs> I've pushed, I'm pushing through it the best I can, and what happened? I ended up on my knees and on my side. It just dropped me, and I'm lying there, and um, I knew it was on the other side of this tree, a big, big tree, big, wide tree. But I, I couldn't move. I just couldn't move. And I was there for, it says in my journal how long, 15 minutes or so. And suddenly everything returned to normal. Birds came back. Crickets came back. 
all the bugs, etc. And I started to feel normal. So I got up and I looked around this tree and there was nothing there. Now, for something so large to make such a racket, such a noise, as I say, steam rolling through like an elephant on two legs, uh, to make so much noise coming in, but to make no noise on the exit makes no sense. No, but how many times have we heard that? You know, that, that disappearing and not making any noise while, while leaving. So strange. Yeah, far be it for me to talk paranormal because I'm not that sort of person. I'm not into conspiracies. I'm not into paranormal. But what I can say is there's a few anomalies out there that I can't explain. Yeah. And do you think it was something along the lines of infrasound that hit you, that, that floored you? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I mean, if I, if I answered that, it would just be a guess. I'll, I'll be surmising. I mean, I, I can't give you facts, basically. I, I mean, I, I can't. I, I can't say definitively it's this or it's that because I don't know enough about it. Yeah. yeah. But what I can say is that it was unnatural. Now, it's, it's, it was kind of like Ormo when this thing came up behind me. Before the chase, I mean, I basically felt it. I knew, I knew something was wrong. You could feel it. I, I felt like, I think, as I said before, like like a rabbit in, in uh, headlights. I was frozen. I couldn't move. I couldn't move my body, and I knew that was all related to whatever it was behind me. Up until that stage, I thought human, 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 human. But then when that feeling came over me, I'm going, oh, this isn't good. This is something different. Mm-hmm. And, and then when it was chasing me and it was like yelling and carrying on, it, it almost it felt like like waves of energy kind of, you know. It was, it was sort of like you, you, you could feel what it was thinking. That's how it felt to me. I often describe that as it was kind of like he had such anger about it that it was almost like it felt like I just killed his newborn. That's that's the sort of anger that was coming out of this thing. Right. Now, you, you can watch Hollywood movies, horror movies, etc., but you'll never, never understand it unless you've experienced what I experienced that night, like the real terror, like the real anger, the real evil type thing, you know. That was tough stuff. I thought I was going to die that night. I thought that was it. You caught up with me within no time, and it was on my left-hand side, and I thought, there's no escape. But, you know, I mean, I I didn't know anything about them at that stage, really. It was just... Just luck that I didn't jog down that that path that night, and you know, the fact that they don't come out in the open, they don't like to come out in the open. And there was a street light up there on the street. There's enough light there for him to stop and not lunge out and, and actually get me. And that's kind yeah. of what saved you in the end, wasn't it? That 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 street light. Oh, yeah, I know. And you know, I, I hate to think what it would have been like if I had a jog down that track because if I reached out both hands either side, I could have touched the bush both sides. This is how narrow that track was at the time. And it was dark and it was a long track. If I had kept running, um, again, this is 11 o'clock at night, 
if I had kept running down that track, I wouldn't be here now because he really did mean business. He was very, very serious. <laughs> <laughs> I can. I'm just going through my mind as to how I would feel if I if I was there by myself. Oh, it was I, awful. It was, yeah. it was awful. And and you really did believe this is it. This is it. I'm going to die right here and now because there's nothing I could have done to save myself. And I often thought about it at the time. It didn't matter what handheld weapon I could have had on me. It wouldn't have made any difference. This thing was just too big, too fast, too aggressive. Uh, there's nothing you could have done to save yourself. I could have had a samurai sword and it wouldn't have saved me. <laughs> so you're in the process of going through your journals, your older journals, and documenting and creating a video or creating, you know, short videos on on what happened back in those days. Yeah, well, basically I'm, I'm doing a, a documentary on Kilkeve and our time at Kilkeve and why we were there and what led up to the point where I was actually hit. And there's so many amazing stories in here as well. I mean, just amazing nights where you know, it, New York journalists, for example, you know, coming out from New York to join us on expedition. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dying to hear about that. <laughs> we scared the crap out oh, of these. Guys. I was just thinking, did you scare the crap out of them? Yeah. We did. We did. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, in America, you know, they've got bears, so you don't leave food outside when you're camping at all. That's taboo. Yet here we were, tying up bones to trees, just staring them, and like sausages to the fly of their tent. You know, and these guys were like, what? Um, <laughs> But, you know, I didn't know if it was going to happen that night. You, you don't get your hopes up, but it did. It really, really did that night. Um, I'd gone with Sean. You know, Sean was the, the, the main guy uh, doing the writing, and there was one of his friends and his wife um, that we'd left back at camp. So myself and Sean had gone for a walk, at, and again, this is nearly midnight, and I had Steve Bott with me. And I said to Steve, go down the creek, you know, 100 metres or so, sit and listen. So off he went. And then suddenly we started getting radio feeds from base camp and there's two um, Americans there and they're saying, hey, guys, this is pretty serious stuff. We've got something walking around us right now. It's bipedal. Uh, We're we're freaking out. (laughs) And I just responded going, hold position. Everything's okay. And so, because I was busy doing an interview at the time. And then they get back on the radio again saying, guys, this is really serious. Uh, if you guys don't come back, we're going to get in our car and we're going to leave you here because this isn't good. And then Steve gets on and he says, I'm returning to base camp. Go, no, you're not, Steve. Hold position. No, I'm returning to base camp. No, you're not, Steve. Hold position. <laughs> And I'm, I'm pretty cranky at the best of times. So, <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I it, don't believe it. <laughs> when, when it came to him breaking position, I was not happy at all. Um, but for, for Steve to say, this isn't Steve the dentist, for him to break position and break protocol and all that sort of stuff, and I, and I turned to Sean and I said, something is very, very wrong. So I'd grabbed my gear and I walked down in the dark uh, and I met him at the crossroads, which is like just crossing in two tracks. 
And he was white as a sheet, white as a sheet. I've never seen him like this before. And he had this look in his eyes said, Steve, I said, what happened? He said, well, you know how you told me to walk down the creek and said, yes. Well, I did that for you. He said, unfortunately, I sat in between two of them. So what, what had happened was he'd stuck down there, tiptoe, 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 being stealth and thinking he's quiet, and he sits down and he's, he's listening and he hears breathing. He's going, oh, crap, what's that? And then suddenly one side went, Rah! then the other side, Rah! oh, my gosh. <laughs> and he said he, just, he, he sat there just looking straight ahead, just looking, just, just still going, how do I get out of this? And he really didn't think he was going to get out of it. Because, I mean, it was, you just imagine how scary that would be. Oh, yes. my God, yes. You, you'd be, every hair would be standing on end. You'd probably need new underpants afterwards. You wouldn't even want to breathe. You'd be so scared. But this is some of the gold from Kilkeed and our time out there. Uh, there's so many different stories that I have about this particular location. And then, you know, it leads up to... Uh, January 2, 2009, when I got hit by that one. And it took me a long time to get over that. I mean, I had some, well, just to say a tad of PTSD. Uh, PTSD. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, like, most and, of the, like most of the people who have really scary encounters, they, they're, they're, they do suffer PTSD symptoms well, and side effects. It was about eight months. Uh, and someone, I don't know who, who it was, it was someone recently that I was talking to, and I, I know this isn't the correct term, but he said victim mentality. And that's precisely how I felt. Um, there, there's a better term for that. It's not coming to me right now. But, it, but it is along those, 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 those lines of, you know, victim mentality because I was wondering why, why, why did he do this? Now, what did I do? What did I do to deserve this? But it wasn't until even years later that I worked it out, you know. It, yeah. it, took, it took a while because I'm not that bright. <laughs> Rubbish. <laughs> yeah, but then you did work it out. Um, yep. If I remember correctly, it had something to do with... His gal. Uh, his gal. <laughs> if there's something going to rile up a man, it's you messing around or putting in danger his woman. <laughs> I, I know I was flirting around with his woman. <laughs> the thing is, right, the next day I had the second encounter at 8 o'clock in the morning and I never put them both together. I mean, that's how stupid I am. I didn't put them both together. I didn't – it didn't click. It didn't click for a long time. Here's her – and there's him on the other side of the track. Well, geez, you know, that was her that I could smell that night when I was walking up that cascade. That was her. She was close down to camp. And so I've got in the position where I was, too close to her, and she's come down and clocked me. That's what's happened. Yeah. And luckily you had your team with you and they came running because who knows what would have happened if – if they hadn't been there with torches and, and, and making noise running towards you, what he would have done? Well, Steve, the dentist, he was, he was the hero that night, that's for sure. Um, he was first to get there. And, and he, he was the one, actually, when I radioed back to base saying or describing uh, the smell, 
because it was sulfuric. And uh, I was describing this as I was going up the cascade and Steve, the dentist, was saying, well, you know, you, you know what that's associated with, don't you? Like, you, you've, you've heard this before, haven't you? It's like, yeah, I know, but, and, you know, just the, the complacency of the time, I guess. I was busy thinking there was just smells that were coming from the, the fishes of the rocks, like just, just a mouldy mildew sort of smell, but, no, it was sulfuric. And that we we now know is is associated. associated with our hairy friends. So describe the scene when Steve comes running because uh, you've he, he how did he did he hear you on the radio or did he actually was he close enough to hear oh, you oh this this is really bad sarah because i'm doing this this doco at the moment and i'm i'm placing all this together i was going through my files and folders and i found the file a sound audio file of when i was hit and tell you what goosebumps and it really affected me, uh, just listening to it. I've only listened to it once, and I told you about it at the time. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't go back and listen to it again because it brought back way too many, way too many moments of what happened. Um, he hears me screaming out, basically. I'm saying, stop, stop, stop. And you can hear it in my voice. You can hear the terror in my voice. <sighs> It was awful. It was absolutely awful for me to listen to. You might not have the same, like, receive it the same way, or have it won't be the same effect. You won't have the same effect. But for me, that was that was that brought back so many memories, and I could not listen to it the second time. No, well, it's the moment you, one of the moments where you thought you were going to die. I'm oh, not surprised. I, I didn't know what was going to happen. As I always say, and I say it in a cocky way, you know, I wrote the book on their behaviour, but he didn't read the book. But you know, he should have stopped. He should have stopped. But the fact that he didn't means he had an agenda, and I think that was her. Uh, otherwise, I don't think he would have done it. I mean, he would have had no need to have done what he did. Well, it's a very unusual occurrence that, uh, you know, there aren't many people that can say... Not, yeah. not only have I seen one, but he came over and shoved me and pushed yeah. me, yeah, yeah. Um, pushed me so hard that I went flying and landed on my back in a puddle. In fact, I don't think there's anyone who can say that that's happened to them except you. I'm starting my narration on this, and the first line is, what's it like to be struck by a Bigfoot? And <laughs> in my radio voice, uh, I, asked <laughs> I asked myself that question in the late 1990s. Back in those days, um, I was affiliated with GCBRO, which is like a Texas group, because there was no one in Australia. And Bobby Hamilton of the GCBRO, he told me of a story where a farmer was uh, checking his uh, cattle feed troughs on his ranch, and it was like grain and and so forth. And he walked around the side of a uh, a shed, and he came face to face with this Bigfoot, and he got clocked. And... He hit the ground. And for me, it was like the most amazing story. And I'm like, wow, that is incredible. Ten years later, I knew what that was all about. <laughs> and I, I found out how that felt. And he hit you, was it in your chest or in your shoulder? Oh. You had bruises and things afterwards, didn't you? Yeah, it was in the chest. It was in the chest. I mean, it was very dark. It was really, really dark. And the other thing, like I said to you, is when um, 
Steve the dentist got to me and he pulled me up out of that um, out of that pond that I was lying in. And uh, there's a couple of other guys there as well. They dusted me off. And uh, I think one or two of the guys went first. So I said, he's gone this way, he's gone this way. Uh, he was standing over me at that time as they were coming. He was standing over the top of me. And I was waiting for him to pick me up and just thrust me into a tree, like never break my bones. And so I'm rocking and rolling on, on side to side and I'm kicking in the air and yelling. And geez, I wish I had a more heroic story than that. <laughs> <laughs> that you stood your ground and you eyed it yeah. with a cold I was, glare. Yeah. I was extremely stoic, that's right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that, that leads me on to another thing, right? You can have all the plans in the world. You know, if this happens, I'll do that. If that happens, I'll do this. And I had all those. But when it happened, I had nothing. Nothing. I had nothing. Um, you know, I mean, if, if I had, if I could reverse time, I'd just bend down and pick up a maglite. I didn't even do that. You know, everything's going through your mind at hundreds of miles an hour. You, you, you're processing. You're not believing it. You know what I mean? It's yeah. Like you, you're not, you're not, it's, it's not coming to you. It's like nothing's coming to you because you, 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 your mind's trying to analyse what's going on. And then you think it's got to stop. It's got to stop because that's what they do. Well, he didn't. So anyway, after, after Steve pulled me out of the, um, the, the little pond there, I said, he's gone that way, he's gone that way. And this thing's eyes self-eliminated. They were not reflections. They were self-eliminating. We're talking about a valley, a dark valley, heavy cloud cover, no starlight, no moon. You could barely see your hand in front of your face, yet these eyes, they are self-illuminating. Now, they weren't the red, they weren't the, the yellow, you know, the normal stuff that's reported. These were like a, a dull white, and he was blinking. You'd see him blinking as he's watching you. When we move forward, um, three steps forward, he would do three steps forward. But when he did that, he would turn his head to watch where he's walking so everything would be black. And then when we stopped, he would stop. Then he'd turn around, bang, the eyes were back again. But they were, they were definitely self-eliminating. They were not reflecting. How that works, how that happens, I don't know. I mean, look, I've read a lot about you know, how it can work. There's a lot of hypotheses about it. Do we know of any other animals that have self-illuminating eyes? I don't, I don't believe I've heard of any. No, I don't believe so. Now, now, this also leads into the other aspect of their eyes and the, the ability they have over ours. We don't know everything about the Yowie. This is the thing. This is the really important thing. We don't know everything about them. They've never been analysed. I mean, they, we don't have one on a slab and we can see what's within their eyes, etc. that's different to ours. But what we do know is they can see at night time and we can't. And the other thing is that, as I said, I think in my last video, is uh, Fatfoot, he was so aware of how blind humans were that he used it. And here he is standing out in the middle of, basically out in the open, not covering himself, didn't give a... He knew that we couldn't see him. It was just a fluke, an absolute fluke that I put the spotlight straight on his chest. And he's standing out in the open with such confidence that we couldn't see him. And we've also, but, we also know that 
people report to us different coloured eyes. We People report to us eyes that appear to be self-illuminating, different shapes, you know, some triangular, some diamond-shaped. Sorry, not triangular, diamond-shaped. Or was there one that was triangular? Yeah, now that's really interesting because we have quite a few on file now of diamond-shaped eyes uh, and the different colours, as you say. How, why? I don't know. I don't have all the answers. You know, it's, it's, it's one of these things where I always say, the more I learn, the less I know. Yes, <laughs> indeed. I, I have the same conundrum. <laughs> the more I learn, the less I know. People talk to me and uh, think that I would have answers about when, these when I began, When I began in all this, I was an expert. I knew everything. I don't now. 25 years down the track, I, I know less now than what I did then in my own mind. Anyway. I was so cocky back in those days. I thought I knew everything. Um, but amazing, amazing place. It really was. Uh, so many memories of Oakview and the pine forest. And suddenly it was logged and it's barren. Uh, it's not the same place anymore. It's a different feeling, different energy. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's not the same place. That could potentially explain the seriously angry, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, the seriously angry energy that you were feeling, perhaps? The, the well, destruction of their, their home. Well, you know, you know the story about that, the story that I don't tell. Yes, I do know that story, and yeah. I won't mention it. <laughs> Sometimes there's things you can't explain and, and you don't even want to try. You just, you just leave it. Really, high strangeness, as, as Buck would as, say. As Buck would say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, high buy, strangeness. Buy the T-shirt. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when are you thinking that you'll have this documentary finished and ready for your adoring fans? I'm hoping, I know it's not going to happen, I'm hoping by Friday but Friday is expedition night, so um, that's going to rule me out for a few days because <laughs> you have recovery time normally after an expedition because you're awake all night. So uh, I'm, I would love to get this done by Friday, but I just can't see it happening. Laying down the voiceover, that's... That's the whole, that's the rock, that's the concrete, that's what you want to do, and then everything else follows. And also I need to be in the right mindset as well if I'm going to do a, a narration. Yeah. And do you think by going over all of this, oh, all no, of yeah. what happened, you've brought up yeah, no, all the no, scary it, stuff yeah, and then yeah, you're going yeah, out this Friday to stay no, overnight? It, it has an impact. Yeah. It has, a, it has an impact on you mentally. Now, when you do what? I do, and you're talking to people every day, you're receiving emails, phone calls, and you listen to this all the time, on top of your own experiences, you know, there's going to be some sort of impact somewhere, somehow, to yeah. some extent. Yeah. No wonder you stay awake all night. Because <laughs> Gary was saying to me how you, you, when I spoke to him last, that you stay awake all night. And 
I'm not surprised. Having experienced what you've experienced, I wouldn't be. No. I wouldn't be falling asleep. <laughs> well, sometimes I don't need to be out there to stay awake all night because this runs over my head over and over. Yeah. Just all stuff, you know, all these people, you know, experiencing the same thing. It's, yeah. it's a bigger story than what most people realise. Absolutely, absolutely, and that's, I guess, why we do what we do. We're in a fortunate position. That we survived, well, that you survived your your experience. No, we're, 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 we're in an important position because of the information that we receive. Yes. Not many people are in the position where they receive this sort of information. And people trust us a lot, that they put their trust in us. Yeah. And uh, that, that's a pretty big deal to me. Yeah, that's a huge deal to me. The, the, that, that trust, absolutely. Absolutely. Nothing that we would betray ever. Now, when I started all this back in 97, first experience 95, but 97 was the kicker, but there was nothing. There was nothing out there. No one to talk to. And I needed someone to talk to. Now, where those people, other people come to, to vent, speak about their experiences. You needed a Sarah. Yeah, I did, yeah. So uh, with regards to your expedition on Friday, you're going back to the new location that you were um, last time. You, you were out on expedition, which was a few weeks ago now. You haven't been able to get out there because of the, the weather. Uh, you're doing the same, the three separate camps as you did last time? Yeah, this is going to be interesting. I'm looking forward to this. Now, we replicated what Wadeney's son did on that night when they had their encounter. And it worked. Uh, myself and Steve, the dentist, we had our own experience during the night and it left Steve rattled. Like I've said in the video, I've never seen Steve rattled in the decades that I've been out with him. Uh, he was rocked. Uh, I remember waking up, well, waking up, I mean, I didn't really sleep, you have little micro sleeps, like you know, you're out for a few seconds, but back in again. And I had this, well, what I thought was Steve the dentist walking right behind me, like right behind my head. And I thought, no, he's answering the call of nature and walking around, milling about, and then walks down the creek. And then suddenly Steve got out of his uh, hammock right in front of me. I'm going, well, what? <laughs> How does that work? <laughs> And Steve had this shocked look on his face, and, and, and he's, he's looking down the creek. He goes, did you hear that? Was, well, yeah, it was right behind me. <laughs> he was walking around. I thought it was you. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, no, he, he actually had two big experiences that night. So this, the, the operation this, this weekend, Gary and Wade, they're going to take over Wade's World, which is you know, the location we were based at, our base camp, and uh, Buccanel. Um, not quite sure where they're going, but myself and Steve, we're going further up in the mountain. It's just as long as we do have radio con communications, we can reach each other because uh, that's pretty important if something happens. Yeah, absolutely. And the pl and a similar plan of action to the last few. Oh, I'm going to do the same. I'll I'll, I'll do exactly the same. I, I want to uh, have a, a campfire. I want to be optical. I want to. Uh, be audible as well. I mean, I've got some music happening uh, as an attractant. I mean, if you're out there in the bush and that's where you live, you'd be pretty freaking bored, wouldn't you? If you hear something <laughs> like that, 
you, you'd want to come and have a look. Yeah. Um, you doing cl- classical music again? Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Classical music, all that sort of stuff. A couple other surprises maybe. So we'll, we'll just see how that pans out. Hopefully it'll be good. The weather hasn't been kind to us, so that's why we haven't been out in the last few weeks. I think it's going to be all right this week. It's not down here in Victoria. It's going to be raining and cold again. But uh, I think up in Queensland maybe you'll be a bit luckier, certainly with the temperature. You dirty Victorian. <laughs> down here in Bougainville. <laughs> oh, that's funny. He was quite. He sounded like what he was about good. to get quite offended, didn't he? People get such offence at our humour. Oh, <laughs> where is Dean Harrison, founder of Australian Yowie Research? I've always found it really interesting that there are some people out there who are quick to criticise others for not taking a good photo or only managing to to take blurry footage of these beings. Let me tell you, remaining stoic enough to pull your camera out, focus and shoot great footage is virtually impossible, even for the bravest amongst us. You're listening to Yowie Central on the best little station in the nation, 94.9 Main FM. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you've been listening to Yowie Central for a while, you will probably know that I'm a social worker trained in working with traumatized people. One of the things I noticed when I first started working with Dean and interviewing Yowie witnesses for Australian Yowie Research was that the vast majority of people I spoke to were suffering from significant trauma as a result of their Yowie sightings. It's a life-changing, paradigm-altering occurrence seeing one of these creatures and post-traumatic stress disorder in the aftermath is not uncommon. So I was really happy that my next guest contacted AYR because she's a mental health specialist and she's had two Yowie sightings herself. Her name is Valerie and she reached out to AYR to offer her counselling services to any of our witnesses who are suffering distress due to their experience. I had a chat with Valerie last week and I thought I'd share a bit of that with you this week. Here's Valerie. When I had my sight, the first sighting, 
was going down the Alpine Way. I was actually driving over, driving from the South Coast where I was working uh, in mental health. And I was taking two weeks off to go across to support my daughter, who was a medical student. And she was gone into second year at um, in Adelaide. And I was driving across to give her some support for a couple of weeks because she was doing what they call the barrier exams. And it was in September, and I was driving down quite happily. And when I saw this Liaoi on the side, my first thought was, oh, my God, it's a patient's escape from the psych hospital because <laughs> <laughs> he was naked. And then I thought, hang on, there's a there any hospitals here. <laughs> I'm, in the, I'm in the Snowy Mountains. <laughs> but I didn't say that when I wrote, wrote about it. I didn't say that because I thought it sounded so... Because that's the first thing you think. Because I've worked in mental health all of my professional life. <laughs> it's quite funny. Yes, I'm not surprised. Was it was it middle of the day or night time? No, it was. I was in the afternoon. It was about three thirty, four o'clock. It was just the end. The skiing season was over. End of the ski season, because there was um, the snow had gone, but there were some on the sides of the road, there was some snow and there were some rocks on the road on the drive. So I'm, my, my family um, always look upon me as a bit of a lead foot. But I was driving very slowly because <laughs> I, saw, I saw these stones around the road and the ice. And I, thought, and I was only driving my little Mazda, the Mazda 3. And I was going about, oh, I was going quite slowly, really, about 30, 40, and going down and I winded down the Alpine Way when I just saw this, this, um, I hate saying creature. I just saw this, what I thought was a person on the side of the road, and then I and uh, and our eyes locked as well. And ah. I thought, what on earth? And he's got no clothes on. And then I realized he was all hairy. He, he had pale hair, like a. It was like the color of snow, really. Like you know, the slushy color of when it goes to slush, mm-hmm. and uh, very muscular. And I think I described him and compared him to a rugby league player. <laughs> <laughs> yes, right. Big and muscly. And uh, and we just looked at each other. Oh, but before then, of course, the reason I'm very pleased I was driving so slowly was because three kangaroos came sh- rushing across the highway, across the Alpine Way, helter-skelter. We really, uh, and I probably, maybe they became frightened of the um, Yowie. Or, or even possibly, I thought, I was talking to a friend later, and I said, and he said, possibly the Yowie could have hunt, heard my car coming and ended up by pushing... You know, trying to maybe get them to be knocked down by my car so they could pick up the dead kangaroos. Yes. yes. But I thought if had that happened, I, my car would have been written off because it was a Mazda 3. It wasn't a four-wheel drive or anything. Look, we, have, we certainly have heard that before as a theory that they are chasing prey towards the road and then potentially uh, wait, getting, waiting for them to get knocked over and then picking up the roadkill. We've, we've, we've had witnesses see them picking up roadkill from the side of the road. Yes, um, I've heard about that as well. Yes. But I never thought about that at the beginning because I honestly had no idea what I was looking at because I knew nothing about them. I, I, I'd never read anything. I'd never seen anything. And I was completely – I was really – I thought, what is that? And I, and I rang my son. He was, a, he was a uni student in Canberra. And I said, I was telling him. And Simon said, Mum, he said, you might have seen a yaoi because he'd been reading about it. <laughs> and then when I saw him, he showed me photographs. And I said, that's what I've seen. It was a, a, the face was unshaven and it had this grey, white hair. And he looked young, like a young, a young yaoi. 
Okay. Didn't have wrinkles or anything. And was in, looked like a, like a rugby league player. How tall do you and reckon then, it was? And then he just turned around and got walked back into the bush, lifted a branch and walked onto the walked into the into the bush. And how and tall was, do you think it was? I, I, I said he, I didn't think he was terribly tall because when I was driving in my car, I was in the car and the whole thing would have only lasted about 20 seconds, I was imagining, my seeing him the distance and then driving up past him. And I, I, I was reflecting on it. I thought he wouldn't have been much around over six foot at all. He wouldn't have been six foot tall. And, but he was very muscular and very fit. And he'd have the same, was it the same hairiness from top to bottom or were there clear patches? He was standing in the side of the road, but he was behind some shrubs, some shrubbery, some like the bush. So I couldn't tell if it was a male or a female. I couldn't see any genitalia. But because the chest was, he just had a, a, a muscular chest like a bloke. His head looked as though it was screwed down to his shoulders, didn't have a neck. As I probably had very, the muscles were probably all very well built up, but he didn't have any, he was just very, very muscular. And you mentioned that you locked eyes. Yes. And he was, so, I could, you can see, you know, when you look at someone, you can look at animals and they've got that kind of intelligence. And I could see there was, this was no, this wasn't somebody who was blank behind the eyes. This was an intelligent being, definitely. And, 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 he, and I, I can remember thinking, I was totally curious about him, thinking, what am I looking at? This is amazing. And then he was obviously looking at me as though, what on earth is that? I've never seen anyone like that, <laughs> seeing a human. So I think it was like a, a mutual curiosity about these two separate beings who would never see. And I don't think he'd ever probably ever seen a human before, probably. No, potentially not. I wasn't frightened. I can remember, I can remember just thinking, I was just so curious. But I wasn't frightened. How far away were you from? He would have been about, I was driving on the left and he was standing on the right. So it would have been like a half a road's width from each other. So that's pretty close. It is. But I wasn't scared. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's an interesting observation because some people are instantly terrified, but you weren't. You were, you were curious. No. I was just so curious. I was, it was, I thought, this is amazing. <laughs> What's my response? <laughs> this is really, what am I looking at now? So when I got to Koryong, I, um, and, I, and the thing that was worrying me, that I was running out of petrol as well. I was quite low on petrol. So when I rang and spoke, I rang Simon from Koryong, when I stayed at this fabulous motel, I'll never forget it, O'Reilly's Motel. They had the best food there. Oh, yes, I know Koryong very well. We, we go to a folk festival up there every Christmas, New Year's. Or we did. We, ha- we haven't in the last couple of years. So that was the first, the first sighting. What mm. was the second one? The second sighting was about a year and a half ago. It was in. It was the end of June, and it, and I live in Canberra now. And I was driving up to Goulburn in the morning because I was working up there. And I was driving, and, and there was very thick fog. And and it was so, the fog was so thick that there was a, a little truck in front of me with, the, and I was keeping an eye on his red lights to just to for guidance, really, because the fog was so unusually thick. And I drove up, and I went past Lake George. And it's about an hour and 15 minutes to, to Goulburn. And I would be the other side. There's a little, a little village off the highway, off the federal highway called Collector. And I'd gone past the Collector turnoff 
and I was on the side of the road. Uh, I was driving along and I was really focused on the road because the fog was so thick. And for some reason, I still don't understand now, I suddenly looked to my left and there was a Yowie standing by a tree, just standing there. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. A Yowie. Okay. <laughs> and then I thought, why, have, why did I now suddenly decide to look to my left briefly because I was so concerned about staying on the road with the fog? And that's puzzled me. It was as though I was told to look to the left to see one. What did that, that one look like? Tall and um, reddish, reddish hair and, and quite tall, but not huge, not, not muscular. Big. Well, the, it was just a glance, but it was just a tall or would have been about seven or eight feet tall. In fact, I thought to myself when I got past and I got, I thought I probably saw it was looking at a tree. So the next day, on a Saturday, I drove up, back up to see if I could see, to convince myself I'd been looking at a tree, and I hadn't. Ah, okay. So you went back to the same place. I went back to the same spot. Ah. And I thought, damn, why am I? So that's always made me feel a bit curious. Why do I? Why did I just then glance to my left because the fog was still as thick as on? You know, it wasn't as if things had eased off and the fog had thinned or anything. I was really focusing on the road. But why then should I look to my left yeah. and see a Yowie? That's a that's a very good point. Uh, I thought this, this I thought, that's always made me feel quite curious. Did you see the face? Yeah, it was just like it was like side on, and he just was standing there as though he was waiting for. Some, I don't know. It was I just got an impression he was just standing there and just. It just like had a face without any real expression, but he wasn't. A, what I say it was on side on view, but I didn't get a feeling of aggression or anything. It was just, if anything, it looked like someone who looked a bit, the stance looked like somebody who was a bit sad looking. And I thought, oh, and I just find it's, it's, it's just so incredible. And so seven to eight foot tall, reddish colour, muscular. Yeah. Did, did... No, not particularly, just tall and Probably fit somebody who didn't have any excess fat on him or her. It was a man, I think. I didn't see any bosoms. Right. Any bosoms. So I thought he was a, probably a tall male. Yeah. And do you, did you With get the no feeling? No aggression. No aggression? Nothing. Yeah, Just right. somebody standing there who looked a bit sad. I'm Irish and we're a bit like witches. I'm a witch. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe he sensed. That that uh, that sensibility in you coming and and uh, was trying to reach out to you. So with, with those with those two mm-hmm. sightings, did you report those to Dean Harrison to AYR? No, I, I did the first one. And that was because my son said, "Mum, get in contact with the Australian Yowie Research and and write to them and say tell them what you saw." And I said, "Oh, that's ridiculous. Of course I'm not. It's absurd." <laughs> but I've noticed as well. I've got a certain reticence. I mean, one of my very close friends knows, and my son, of course, knows. Two of my friends know, but I've never discussed it with anybody else because people. I don't think people want to know. I think people, uh, my, from my experience as a as a clinician, people are terrified of anything that doesn't seem everyday. Anything out of the ordinary, people find it quite frightening and 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 scary. And it's, do you think perhaps your what you just mentioned to me of being uh, Irish and having that witch sensibility? Do you think that's part of the reason why you weren't actually? frightened at the time 
Yeah, well, yes, I, I, it's never, it's never frightened me. Anything unusual has never frightened me at all, ever. Because I, it's probably because I suppose I, I'm actually quite a cure. I'm quite curious about the world and a curious, and it's. And, but I can still remember that afterwards, thinking about it, reflecting on it, and thinking, many people would be traumatized by this. Because people have a certain view, as I said to you previously, people have a view of how the world is. And not a very well-explored view. Majority of people, Sarah, as you know, they live on the surface of life. Yeah. They never look at the underneath uh, the incredible complexity of life at all. And if they see anything that's out of the ordinary, really, it, um, they can't handle it very well. So I was never, never traumatised. I was just curious. The, the vast majority of people I speak to have, um, and particularly even even if it's a very brief roadside sighting, it still rocks their world, let alone the, the, the people that I've spoken to who've actually, they haven't had the protection of their car with them and they've come across them in the bush. Um, the, you know, people people who have show classic signs of PTSD for quite some time afterwards. Oh, poor thing. And all yeah. the flashbacks and everything yes. would be awful. Can't and sleep. nightmares. Yeah. I'll be awful. But see, I, I probably, I, because I didn't know anything about it and I was in a car and I, I, and I, I just didn't feel, um, I probably didn't have the sense to be traumatised. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought this is fascinating. What's going on here? <laughs> well, I think that's that was probably probably the best reaction to have. Really, I, I think uh, you wouldn't want to be carrying around the, the 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 trauma that some of the other people are carrying around. That's for sure. Yeah. No, I think the important thing for because another friend of mine has actually seen a yowie as well a few years ago um, up near um, Bungonia National Park in New South Wales. Oh, and uh, and I think I think the important thing for people is 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 that they need validation. They're not silly. They're not stupid. What they saw is real, and that they're and they're not going crazy. Yes, that's the most important thing. And to validate their feelings, and also to say how it, it would rock your world. It is. It's absolutely. It's it's a real facer. You know, something that you you may not have heard about or you thought was a myth. It's real. Yeah. That's the most important thing you do. It's, a, uh, it's important that you uh, 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 that you believe what people are telling you. I can say that to people because I've seen what, seen too. But I think that the worst thing of all is that anybody ever saying to anyone, "Oh, I believe you believe you see it." I would want to smack them across the face if somebody said that to me. <laughs> well, that, that's and that's the problem. I th- I think it's never a nice feeling when you are ridiculed and mocked and laughed at and oh, not, not believed. It's a horrible feeling. So particularly when it's something along these lines, it's very hard for most people to believe uh, someone if they're saying they've seen a yaoi because, of course, uh, the vast majority of the, the our society doesn't believe in those sorts of things. So, oh, probably have never heard the word even. Well, yes, there, there's that as well. To have something so traumatic and then, you know, maybe you do find the courage to share it with loved ones or friends and, and they laugh at you and think you're an idiot. Um, yes, being ridiculed is horrible. I think with things like that too, you've got to get people when they're in the right mood. Um, yes. 
And because, yeah, because yeah. they could go into a state of denial for a while and just try and put it to the back of their mind. But of course, it pops up. It will it comes to the fore, as you know. Yes. When post-traumatic stress is not something that um, is something that just goes away. People have to deal with it as best they can. But if they can talk to someone and, and be told they're believed, and 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 empathise with them, yeah, that's all people really need: someone to listen to them. And tell them that what they've seen is real. It's true. It's true. They exist. What what exactly they are, uh, whether they're there all the time, whether they're interdimensional creatures, whether we they're have no idea. Strictly really flesh and blood. Know. No, we don't know. Uh, and I don't have any of those answers either. But I certainly would never belittle someone or, or no. tell them point blank. No, you're wrong. You can't possibly have seen that. No. Ever, uh, it's just awful. I think it's probably really good being able to bring up your program and people can actually say it gives it gives a release to people as well that they're being believed. Yeah, that's kind of. I mean, I, I I started it because I I just thought it'd be a fun thing to do initially, but very quickly I realised, especially once I started interviewing witnesses with for for Dean Harrison of Australian Yowie Research, I, mm-hmm. I very quickly realised and all my social work training, working with victims of crime and working with bushfire victims and working with homeless people and mm. traumatised teenagers and things like that, I, I immediately realised there's some significant mental health well, there are. impacts happening here that, that people aren't being able to talk no. to anyone, anyone about. And if you try and go and see someone privately, it costs a fortune for a lot of people. Yes, indeed. It's very expensive. And, and, and or, the, or, you and, go, or you go and get a mental health care plan from the GP and you have to explain to the GP why you need one. Um, you know, you, 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 can't, you can't tell them the truth. No, because they, because they, they, they will look at you and they probably would be very – they probably would fill it out with alacrity. This person's yes. got delusions. Yeah, exactly. They would think that the person's perhaps – Having a psychotic episode, or you yes. know, um, or were maybe substance affected at the time, or uh, it's just not not adequate. So when when Dean told me that you you had offered your skills to, and that you were there if anybody in distress needed needed to talk to someone, I was so happy because. That is really important to have that there. I'm very grateful to you, Valerie. <laughs> it's a pleasure, really. Have you ever seen a yaoi? I haven't myself. No, and I I was dying to when I first you know for many years I was dying to see one and I've got to the point now though that there still is part of me that wants to see one but I'm terrified because I know I've spoken now to so many people I have no Mm -hmm. doubt that they exist they're out definitely out there and they're genuinely terrifying a lot of the time not all of the time but a lot of the a lot of the the experiences that people have they're they're roared at, or they they have rocks thrown at them. There there's aggression and hostility. Yeah. So I certainly, if I could, if I could set up the the, the best ideal Yowie spotting situation yes. <laughs> where where there's no scary stuff directed at me, bring it yes. on. <laughs> I, I just feel I I was just fortunate because I wasn't sure what I I didn't know what I was looking at the first time. And the second time, I, because um, I was in my car again, it was foggy, and I just got a sense of sadness. There certainly are some people who see them often, uh, who've seen them more than once, and I don't know if that's 
uh, just luck of the draw and you happen to be, it's coincidental that you're there at the right time or maybe they sense, they have a sense of who people are um, and that there are some people who, who they're attracted to perhaps for some reason. Um, I'm, I'm not sure why that happens. Uh, Dean, Dean has come across them many, many times. Well, yes. Um, obviously he's out, he's out searching for them a lot. Yes. So that, you know, the, the chances of him coming across one is more, uh, are higher because he's out there a lot. Um, most of us aren't, aren't going into remote areas no. uh, and camping overnight with, with specifically to, no. to catch sight of them. So <laughs> I, I, I lived up the Blue Mountains for a time. I lived up at um, Blackheath apparently <laughs> my son told me later, he said, Mummy, do you realise there are Yowies all over the place? Yes. I said, I would have had a heart attack. <laughs> I know anything about them then. And, and also I walked the six-foot track from the Explorer's Tree at Katoomba uh, to the Janulan Caves, which is about 50 Ks, but we never saw anything and we camped out and well, we I never saw anything. A lot of the reports are, are when people are either alone or maybe with only one other person. Um, but usually when you're alone. And so I, I don't think they're attracted to larger – when when there's larger groups and when there's dogs and uh, I mean, mm. it does happen, but I, I think it's less common when people are with a group of, of other, other people. Mental health social worker Valerie DeBritt. If anyone feels like they are really struggling, get in touch with me via via email. That's yaoicentral at gmail.com or via the Yowie Central Facebook group or Messenger, and I'll put you in touch with Valerie. Remember, if you've had any strange, mysterious experiences and you'd like to come on the show and share your story with the Yowie Central listeners, let me know. Well, that's it for this week, folks. Yowie Central will be back next week. Same time, same place on 94.9 Main FM. I'll catch you next week. Out in the cold, out in the dark, something's lurking at the edge of the park. People be warned, people beware, there's a storm on the rise and it's covered in hair. Hear him cry, hear him howl, looking for someone to disembowel. Claws like a hook, eyes like coal, feet so big they're gonna crush your soul. They call him Sasquatch.
You might be rich, you pretty young thing, better hide the glint of your diamond ring. Your fancy jacket won't be worth a dime when you're sucking the blood right out of your spine. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.